In this episode, I interview Abigail, the host of the Moxie Pixie Weirdo podcast. She is a college student who has taken an approach to have no debt. As a teacher, I often wonder about group projects, how to structure them, how to combine students in a way that builds collaboration. And I know there's anxiety with students on who they work with, but how do I navigate that while also trying to achieve the goal of understanding there are challenges to working with others and learning to do that well? In this interview with Abigail, she shares some of those feelings. What about discovering passion? We often are tied to a certain curriculum, a certain schedule, allowing students the opportunity to explore, develop curiosity, and find their passion is one of the losses being tied to a schedule and a curriculum. podcast Education Unimagined, where we give students an opportunity to share their voice in a system where often their voice is unheard. I ask them to share their experience and advice on how we can improve the experience for everyone. Thank you for joining me on the podcast Unimagined. I'm excited to meet you. We virtually connected via Twitter. And I think this is really cool that here we are now and I am recording you to find out a little bit about who you are. So why don't we start right there and have you introduce yourself to me? So I'm Abigail. I'm the host of the Manic Pixie Weirdo podcast where we talk about relationships and I am a voice actress. I am a wife. I am a lot of things. I wear a lot of hats. Okay. Yeah. Tell me about how you got involved in hosting your own podcast. It was really sort of a fluke decision that I decided to start a show. And I... I wanted it to be a place where everybody could come and just be free and sort of like explore the world with me. So that's where it stemmed from. And we talk about the different kinds of relationships that you can have in your life, not just romantic relationships or platonic relationship, but all of them from math to Marvel to mental health. My mom is a math teacher. And I'm trying to get her on the show to talk about her experience and her journey and relationship with teaching and what her method is. That sounds really great. And I think it would be really interesting to have her invite one of her students on and talk about the relationship that from her and the student's perspective, that might be a cool conversation to have. Tell me about your leadership skills, love of learning, curiosity, love, fairness, and kindness. Did any of them stand out or can you see how some of them show up for you in your life? One that sort of stood out to me was fairness. I didn't expect to get fairness, not because I don't believe in fairness or anything like that. I was just shocked that it was a personality trait that I valued as much as I do, according to this quiz. I think fairness would have stood out to me as being something unique. I've had a couple of guests who have shared that, not that these things are surprising to them, but 
the fact that they elevated so high in their their qualities. I was a little bit surprised at all five of them, to be honest, just because I, I wouldn't have necessarily ranked them as high as they did. Will you tell me about the path of education that you have taken? So I took a little bit of an unconventional path after high school. I moved out of state, needed to establish residency for a year. Once I felt like I got my ducks in a row, I went to community college and I am not finished yet (laughs) because I took a little bit more of an unconventional path and I am really trying very, very hard to not graduate with any debt. I only take classes when I can afford to take them. So it's taking me a little bit longer. Graduating without debt is commendable, but also by taking your time through this journey, do you feel like you are sort of adjusting your path, adjusting the classes that you're taking based on what is happening in your life at that time, rather than I think conventionally in a four-year program, it's very prescribed. Are you able to define your own path in this journey because you're taking a longer time through the non-conventional path? Yeah, I think so. I'm definitely able to explore more, be a little bit more creative and give myself a little bit more leeway on what it is that I really want to do. It really has allowed me the time that I've been given to really, really consider what it is that I want to do with my life and what it is that I I hope to do with my life. Sort of nail those things down for myself. It also has given me a lot of opportunity to explore a whole bunch of different things. It's that curiosity and that love of learning again coming in because I do love to learn all kinds of different things. And so I'm one of those classic cases where I switched my major probably like 10 times before like I made a decision because I just couldn't decide I was interested in so many different things. Well, I also think it is a testament to your love of learning that the path that you're taking is really a unique path that is driven by your curiosity. I was wondering if you think that students are really given an authentic opportunity to take initiative in traditional schooling K through 12. Taking initiative in school K through 12 is very difficult. It was for me because I didn't have a clue (laughs) as to what I wanted, what I really wanted to learn. Um, I found myself to be very bored a lot of the time and I wasn't really able to sort of explore the things that I wanted to explore. Uh, That sort of came later. And so being able to take that initiative of taking control of what it is that I'm learning, what it is that I'm trying to teach myself and learning how to grow, that was pretty difficult for me in K through 12. I also wasn't very good at communicating effectively. That sort of hindered my ability to be able to take initiative in my schooling. Why don't we give students this opportunity to explore the things that they're curious about or the things that they're interested in? Why do you think we're so driven to take the conventional path once we graduate 12th grade? Well, because it's what we've been taught. Can't 
I can't fault any one person for that because that's just what you were taught. And for me too, I was taught that this is the next step that you take. You finish high school and then you go straight into college and then you do that for four years. It's just the next thing that you're supposed to do. Do you think it would be very beneficial for students to be able to sort of explore those things? I've always wondered and been curious about whether or not it would work if students were able to take college level courses at a high school level to dip their toe in and get a feel for what that's about. And it could be anything. I mean, you could take like an elective. You could take like a philosophy class if you wanted. You could take an art history class if you wanted. You could keep those doors open. I wonder if that would help with taking initiative for students so that they can have that early induction into what that's like and all of the different avenues that could be explored. Yeah, that's a fascinating thing to think about as you were speaking, I was thinking about how it would be so incredibly cool for kids to take semester out of high school to explore and maybe they're going to college and taking some community classes there or maybe they're going in the workforce. When I think we like to claim that we do that, we have AP classes, students do a job shadow or community service, but I really don't think that we're giving students the time and the space and wouldn't it be cool for high schools to partner with a community college to do a semester and as a parent I think I would appreciate my kid not going off for a year to find out that hey I'm not really ready for this or from a financial perspective I can totally see how that would be helpful how do you think we add initiative in to the traditional high school? Where can we add that? I would just really encourage you to allow your students breathing room and allow them to explore what it is they find interesting. I've had some really amazing college professors and what they all have in common is they, they're not dismissive. They really sort of take an interest in what it is that each student is really like going through. It's very difficult to do that in a classroom size of 30 or 40 kids. I would just encourage you to really make sure that you allow your students breathing room. And if they come up to you or decide that they want to sort of speak out in class, give them that opportunity and make sure that they feel validated. That was something that I was really lacking in, in high school from my teachers. I feel like it would have at least given me a safer space in order to explore that and to do so. I have learned through conversations that perhaps I need to reframe the questions so that it's more about what was your thinking and how did you arrive at your answer as opposed to what is the answer so that it it requires more thinking time. And I think if we ask questions like that, kids who maybe are gun shy of giving the wrong answer don't have to have that fear because I'm not asking the answer anymore. I'm asking about their process. I think the other thing that you sort of alluded to is waiting. Just, you know, don't ask for the answer to come so quickly and allow all kids a chance to just process, think, and then speak and maybe not answer directly to me. Something that you you touched on that I just want to encourage you and other teachers to do. My mother is a math teacher and she taught me math. I loved her as a math teacher. I thought she was so great. One of the things that she does in her math class is in math, generally, there is like one right answer. But she really tries to explain 
to her kids is that there's more than one way to solve this problem. You just have to pick the one that's best for you. And I think that that is a very common thread with the professors and the teachers that I have enjoyed is that they allow that that thought of it's not just my way or the highway. There are multiple ways to get this done. So I yes, I definitely encourage you to do that and keep doing it. Teachers who might be listening to allow your students to explore something that drives them or brings them interest. And I guess I'm just curious to know if you have sort of have some guidance or suggestions about, you know, where and when those opportunities might exist in a classroom. I'm a big project person. I love projects. I don't do very well in like a group setting, but I love projects that I got to do. And one of the things that I really loved and enjoyed was science fair. I, it got me interested in science. It made science cool. Like I loved it. And there's not just science fair. There's history fairs, mathematics fairs. There's agricultural fairs that I just recently learned about. So students can broaden their horizons on that sort of front. Projects and fairs and things that that, like students can get involved in. I would like to see sort of like more reading materials on these things and have it as an option for students. It could be a cool option for some students to be able to do is like, you know, enter an affair. I think that that would really help because the thing with the fairs is that I got to choose what my science fair project was. And so I had to be interested in it. It had to be meaningful to me. And I think that that would help a lot in the classroom with like getting kids interested in what it is they want to learn. I'm pretty sure I only knew that there were science fairs. And so if there are, are these other opportunities and other fairs out there, we should be highlighting them. We should be bringing them to the attention of all the students there. And then the other thing that I was thinking about is, is if, you know, if that is something that happens in your eighth grade year or your 10th grade year, we need to be doing a better job editing kids. I think there's a lot of value in seeing your peers involved involved in these fairs to encourage and engage other students in the process. Bonus points. It's fun. It's really fun. And it feels really cool. It feels really cool when you get to stand up and present your project and talk about it because that's when the passion comes out because that's when you really get to see what kids are passionate about. Yeah. And I can imagine that it is empowering also as well. You mentioned that you are not a fan of group projects. Tell me why the group aspect is not a friend to you and how you navigate that and how I as a teacher might be able to support kids who are a little adverse to group projects. My whole thing with group projects is that I always ended up being the one that felt like they were doing all the work. <laughs> That's why I have an adverse reaction to group projects. If it's a group of like two or three or even four to a certain extent might be okay because it's much easier to delegate and give out tasks. It's also because... I have really bad anxiety and I'm pretty type A when it comes to school. And so it has to be done a certain way. And if it's not done a certain way, then I kind of freak out a little bit because like I have a way that I want it done. I'm a little bit bossy <laughs> in group projects. A lot of times I feel like I take on the responsibility of like being that person that like gets most of the work done. And I, I'm not good at delegating and like letting things go. Like I need it to be done a certain way. And so if it's not done my way, it's kind of 
not good. I really don't think you're alone in that. I think there are a lot of students who feel that pressure and pair it with that anxiety of this is everything to me. I think I circle back to the question of I want group projects to happen. I want you to work together, but I also don't want to create that environment where my students feel that anxiety. What do I as a teacher put in place so that you, this is about the working together and not about the grade. How do we structure that so that there's less anxiety produced when I say, okay, we're going to work as a group today. I had a college professor, what he did was in the syllabus, he had all this stuff. And then there was this group project that counts for X amount of your grade or whatever. And in there, it says that like, you will only be graded on the part that you contribute to. But how he shared it was like, when it got to that point where we were doing a group project, he just took different colored highlighters and everybody got the same packet. And you got assigned a color of a highlighter. You were only to do what was highlighted and not to worry about what anybody else is doing. And so everybody in the group got a certain color and all you really had to do was make sure that you did what you were assigned, what your part for this was. And that's how he knew if everybody contributed or not. I think that that would help. It really helped me at least with the anxiety level because it didn't mean that my grade was attached to all these other people. It meant that my grade was attached to what I was doing. And so I could only control what I was doing. That was what my grade was going to depend on, not what these other highlighter colors were doing. But we had to work together because like there were moving pieces. You couldn't have one part without the other kind of a thing. There was that sense of like team and group effort that we all had to do. We all had to present the project as well. I'm glad that you said that it worked for you because that was going to be my follow-up question. Do you think it would have been effective to divide them in those colors or do you think it would have been effective for you as a group to define what your responsibilities. That's very interesting. I hadn't really thought about doing it that way. My hesitancy with doing it that way is, and this again is a reflection of myself, I don't trust people to tell me the truth when they say this is the part that they're going to do. When delegating like that, you can usually tell who's going to be a team player. You're not alone. There are others out there who fall into that same category. And I rely on those kids as students to lift other kids up, but I am doing them a disservice. And we need to remember that as educators, that those are great students and we really appreciate them pulling other kids up, but we are causing anxiety. We are causing situations that only reinforce that fear that other people aren't going to do what they say. If you could go back and talk to Abigail in high school, now being where you are and seeing where life has taken you, What is some advice that you would have given to her? Patience. Be patient with yourself. Allow yourself room for forgiveness. Not just forgiveness of yourself, but forgiveness for others. And make sure that you are just doing what you think is the next right thing to do. Because sometimes all those voices can get in your head. As long as you know that you're doing what you want to do and you're doing it the way that you want it done, the way that you think it is good and is wholesome and gets you where you want to be, then go for that. Have faith in that. And 
make sure that you try really hard not to deviate from it. Be very patient with yourself and allow yourself to explore those things that might pique your interest and go after those things, but be patient. You will get there eventually. I also want to celebrate your advice for forgiveness because I think that is something that is sorely missed for students in high school, especially today. I feel there is so much pressure on our students that we do have to celebrate and remember that forgiveness is a skill that requires work. Remind kids that forgiveness is essential and that they need to forgive themselves for a things that not willing to forgive themselves for until many, many years later in life. There is a lot of social interactions that could be resolved with some forgiveness. That is not something that I have thought about as as advice for a high school student. It is really some really valuable advice. I know you gave some advice to teachers, but what does the school that in your mind would provide the best opportunity for students to grow that love of learning, grow that desire to learn more? Well, I, it actually exists. It's the coolest college on the planet. It's a very small liberal arts college called St. John's. The downside is that it's incredibly expensive. They go through the great books of the Western world in chronological order. You get to learn as history was written and learn about why everything is the way that it is and different schools of thought. And it's a full experience. It's an immersion into what learning is. Do you think it could translate into a high school experience? Oh, I have a dream that it would. I was always curious, why couldn't we do this in high school? Why couldn't we take those four years of high school, start with Homer's The Iliad and The Odyssey, and then go all the way up through the 20th century? And it's the great books of the Western world. I've always been curious. I would love for there to be a high school where they do that. That would have been a dream for me. Yeah. Just sort of exploration driven by curiosity. From what I understand, subjects aren't necessarily categorized like English or science. They're all together. As you're learning the science, like historically speaking, is being discovered, what it all means. So math and science and English and language and philosophy, they're all packed into each class. You don't get that separation. That's the kind of thought I just sort of gravitate toward, an all-inclusive one instead of each individual category being a separate thing. When we break our learning into subject, we don't allow for that exploration or interest-driven learning because, well, you might find something that you're interested in, but the bell has rung and it was really like code switching. I've been really thinking about the impact that we have placed on learning by scheduling out when you can learn certain things. It's really interesting to hear you talk about this school and how you learn the, the subjects through the the journey of what you're doing. There is a beauty to that for sure. In my mind, that's what the school looks like. Have a moment in time in everybody's high school journey where they get to explore something and experience it in its fullest extent. Thank you so much. This has been a really great conversation and has left me with a lot more things to think about, which is always good. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. 
There's more to advice than just listening. After having these conversations with students, it changed me. I put some of their suggestions into my practice and I noticed a difference. I was more connected with the students. My relationships were stronger and it made me a better educator. I'd love for you to take some of these lessons that you've learned and put them into practice or share some of the lessons that you have learned from your students. It's more than just hearing student voices. It's learning from them. You can follow me and share your own experiences on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok at Peers Not Beers. I want to share an analogy about a basketball team. If you are creating a basketball team, the likelihood that you are going to stack your team with natural basketball athletes is pretty slim. You know, as a coach, that you have to train athletes to become better athletes. You have to coach them. You have to guide them. Leadership is the same thing. We have to train leaders. We have to guide leaders. We have to coach leaders. And if you or somebody you know is someone who could use some of those leadership trainings, I have a great program for you. It's called the Leadership Academy. And if you search peers, not beers, you will come across my Leadership Academy, which is available for unlimited access to do leadership training. It is broken into modules. You can do them in order or out of order, whatever you need. You can repeat them for $500. You have access to this Leadership Academy for a lifetime. The theme music for this podcast, Unimagined, was written and produced by another fellow educator, Keith McClendon. Thank you.